1: everybody to the hockey think tank podcast brought to you by the hockey a website for all players parents and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet what an episode we have for you guys here today it is going to be jeffrey and myself and we're doing part two of offensive habits and details the last episode we did a couple weeks ago we just kind of got through the main offensive habits and details from a much more macro perspective today we're going to break it down into the different zones and uh, going to have a lot of fun with this one but before we do get over to that let's bring on the talent of the podcast Jeffrey Levecchio your ring fingers looking a little heavy there buddy can you hear me? I'm
0: holding this microphone. My left hand, it's down on the floor. It's so heavy.
1: <laughs> there we go. He's a married man as of Saturday night. So listeners, there we go. Jeff tied down. Let's Ooh, go. You got your GMBM shirt on for the wedding, too. I do. It's my groomsman present. Thank you very much. Love to see it, dog. Love very to see light it. in this 90 degree heat that I'm in with no uh no AC up here on a family vacay in Vermont. So it's uh, it's coming in huge. I might have to go tarps off a little bit later.
0: Don't the listeners will not be happy.
1: The listeners cannot see me.
0: I understand, but they'll know <laughs> that they're going to hear that chest hair of yours ripping against <laughs> the shirt. And they'll be like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll put on? the tarp back on Is this thing on. <laughs> no, man. Wedding was this weekend, this past weekend. Um, unbelievable time. Tof, unbelievable. Had the journey from hell to get to and fro out to another wedding on the east coast the next day and uh yeah it was an absolute blast and my bride had the night of her life which
1: is all that matters to me so i'm uh i'm pretty happy that's unreal that was so much fun that was a fun wedding man it was fun it was a fun like three hours leading up to it when it was just us groomsmen kind of hanging out having a couple pop skis yeah and uh and getting ready and then uh, i thought the funniest part was like (laughs) So for anybody who doesn't know, so Vex is making fun of me a little bit, which I love, but I'm going to give it right back to him, which okay. he's going to love. And so the the photographer comes in. So the wedding's at five. Photographer comes in at what, like 2.33 o'clock. He's like, okay, uh, we're like going to start o'clock. taking pictures. Yeah, 2 o'clock. We're going to start taking pictures now, so we need you guys to get your tuxes on. And Vex is like, no, no, nope, not, not going to happen. No, nope, we're not doing that. No, and she, you, you can see because she was like. Oh, I oh that's not on the itinerary, but <laughs> you know she's, she was like she I didn't don't. know what to do because the bride thought we were taking a picture. I don't know. And then Vex is like, trust me, it's better for everybody, especially myself. I sweat so much. There is no way I'm going to be in this tux in this weather for three hours before my wedding. I will be sweating through this thing. And uh, it like the best part was watching the photographer being like, I don't I don't know what to do. Right she's so like
0: I I don't know what to do. I was like, listen. I will be so pissed if I have to wear this thing for three hours before the <laughs> wedding. It won't work. It'll be drenched in sweat. Not a chance. Just get cool pics of us hanging out in, in our shirts. That's what I wanted, anyways. I don't need like a creeper pick of like me putting Toph's like bow tie on. I don't need that. Right? <laughs> I'm not putting that up in my office. Love you, Toph. That's not going up there. But a pick of the boys hanging out, you know, with some first form energy drinks, just chilling. Like, all right, what's up? You know, I'll put that in my office. That's cool.
1: Yeah, I think she went to Kylie and was like, I tried to get him to take pictures, and they said no, and I didn't know what to do. What do you think? Do you want me to make them? And Kylie was probably like, no, he's got a severe sweating problem. Can't happen.
0: (laughs) Kylie said to me, she was just like, I I don't know what to tell you either but if he doesn't want to do it he's not gonna do it so <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, yeah it was funny seeing her face and she was like trying to like tell me to like do it and i was like she's like came back remember like after yeah. five minutes she came back she's like okay guys three minutes and i was like no, no no i was being serious i'm not putting that on three hours before the wedding take pics of us hanging out and that's what i want i'm i'm writing the checks here okay well kylie is but whatever you know <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, God. That was so funny. That was so funny. But great wedding. Obviously, both the bride and the groom said yes, which is 50% of the entire thing. Good start. Yeah. Good yeah, start. Yeah. Great dance floor. Great food. I mean, great people. They're people that I hadn't seen in forever. A yeah. uh, bunch of a bunch of Hockey Think Tank podcast guests on there. We got Paul Stasny. We got Sean Muncy. We got Tyler yeah. Parks. We got uh, Travis Turnbull, like a wow. lot, of, lot of hockey. Tread th- Frederick, like. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. dude. Lot think of, lot podcast, of guests. Guess. I'm
1: probably leaving Uncle Tim, you know, Cody Barra, you know, my wow. dad, your dad, our moms, our moms, dude. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of think tanks.
0: So maybe we need to, like, start getting outside of our circle is what that means <laughs> to invite other people on.
1: <laughs> well we have done like 270 episodes now so it's okay we had to we had to scratch and cloud maybe a little bit at the beginning but yeah. um here we are thousands and thousands of listeners later and That's boom cool. here we go oh I, I do have to say too so um first of all i want to talk about yes it was planes trains and automobiles for me for that entire wedding i, I just want to tell the listeners about my five days six days that i've just had so i go down i fly from detroit to Nashville for the NHL draft, which I have some sick stories for you guys to tell. Um, but I'll get back to that because so I fly Detroit to Nashville. Then I, I'm down there for two days. We basically like the hockey world closed down all the bars in Nashville for both the days that <laughs> I was there. Um, and then rented a car. It was easier to rent a car to drive from Nashville to St. Louis for Vex's wedding. So got in Friday, rehearsal dinner, unreal wedding on Saturday. And then on Sunday morning and Sunday, I had a family wedding on my wife's side in Vermont. So I actually get a notification. I didn't have my phone on me all night. And then towards the end of the wedding night, I go and I get my phone. And I have this notification that my flight is going to be delayed, which is going to mean that I'm going to miss my connection <laughs> for my second flight to get to Vermont for the wedding. So I'm like, oh, my God. So I'm scrambling a little bit. I finally end up changing my flight, get my flight changed. I have to be up at 4 a.m. So I took the I took the the uh, party family bus back to your mom and dad's house that night. And we were up till, I don't know, two o'clock, two thirty in the morning, just hanging out with the fam. Holy. Did you see any of those videos or pictures? Steph, I got some great videos of Toph dancing
0: on the the family bus at like 2 a.m., 1 a.m. Oh, yeah. I don't know what that yes, was. Yes, please. We'll have to send lift. those.
1: Listeners, stand by. I'll find some of those. <laughs> so we had a great time. Got to your parents' place. We we're all hanging out for a long time. I'm like, okay, my flight leaves in like four hours, so I should probably leave and maybe get like an hour of sleep. So I ended up getting like an hour and a half of sleep, get to the airport. That flight's delayed. So, sitting there and not it's not the one that's delayed like when you're like in the terminal, it's the one that gets delayed when you're on the plane. So, we all get on the plane. I've gotten 2 hours of sleep. Had a great night the night before. And then like we were an hour on the tarmac and then we finally get going and I was flying this time from St. Louis to Atlanta. I was supposed to be St. Louis to Detroit and then to Vermont, but I go from St. Louis to Atlanta. I got like 50 minutes for my layover. But because (laughs) we were uh, delayed, I'm running through the airport, literally running through the airport. I was that guy to try and make my connection. I get to the gate. The door's still open. People are still going on. But they had already given up my seat to somebody on standby. So I'm like, and then there was another family. It was like a family of three. Yeah, there was a family of three that was right in front of me. Same thing happened to them. And so we're like, guys, we're like, here, I, I've paid for my ticket. I'm here. Why can't we get on the plane? And usually Delta's really good customer service wise. But like this woman was having a bad day or something because she like wouldn't even talk to us. It wasn't even like, miss, you know, um, sir, like, sorry, I'm really sorry, but we've given up your seat. Um, this is protocol, blah, 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 blah. She like literally was like, you need to go just leave just leave and go to the service counter. And so we were like, okay. Um, Yeah. So missed that connection, had to find another connection, ended up having, so I was flying into Albany, which is like a two and a half hour drive to the wedding in Vermont, ended up having to fly into LaGuardia, which doubled my time in the car. So I had to like drive cheeks clapped five hours to Vermont, but I made it. I missed the ceremony. I got there for the beginning of the reception That was another great time. Now I'm spending a week here in Vermont on vacation with M's family and uh, all is good in the world. But holy cow. Yes. What a crazy weekend for me, but all good because both weddings, the people said yes. Had a great time at both weddings. Got to see so many people I haven't seen in a while, both weddings. And uh, my boy, my boy is now, he's a man. My boy Vex is a man. The boy has now become a man. Let (laughs) the boy
0: watch. Have you ever watched the (laughs) Ashley Schaefer outtakes? Unbelievable. Uh, yes. Lynn, I was on top wall. of her. <laughs> Dude, people. <laughs> dad's, out there. dad's out there. This is only for dads, moms. I don't think you'll laugh at this, but yeah, dads, they will. It's funny. Know. Dude, dad's out there. YouTube, Ashley Schaefer, BMW outtakes. You will lose your mind. Unbelievable, Will
1: Ferrell Unbelievable. Anything Will Ferrell does, the best. Some bluish hue. <laughs> <laughs> Down to my pums. Okay. Right. Anyway, we, like, get to the
0: podcast here. Well, I
1: do have a couple of cool stories because okay. I was in Nashville at the draft. First of all, the amount of people. So, um, I've I've been to two conferences in the last couple of weeks, and then the NHL draft. And the amount of people that have stopped me talking about our podcast. It it has to be somewhere between ten and fifteen people. Like literally that many people, which is really really cool. And so Gretzky? again, like Wayne Gretzky stopped you. Uh, Gretz did not stop me the Gretter. Uh, no, he gotcha. did not stop me. I don't think he was there though. I don't think he was at either of the conferences, but either way. So, um, yeah, just really, really cool. We want to thank we, I know we do this every episode, but thank you everybody who takes their time to either message us over social media, email, or stops us wherever we're at to you know just just to say it's really cool to hear that we are making a positive impact on the hockey world really really cool to hear so the fact that so many people stopped me over the past week or so to talk about the podcast it, it just it's really heartwarming for us and again, that's our why. We we want to provide some insight. We want to provide some perspective in a hockey world that sometimes can be a little confusing, whether you're a player, coach, or parent. And so, we really appreciate that. So, Vex is really cool. Draft and these conferences. So many people stop me. Unreal.
0: There, that's so money. And and he's like, it does mean a lot, guys. Because when you're doing a podcast, like you, like I'm looking at Toph in the computer right now, and you know, steps in a different state than both of us right now like we're not in front of somebody like we we're talking to each other hoping knowing hoping that like we're able to say things that spark conversations or thoughts or you try new things or we just help you guys get better in any way and if we were in front of you having this conversation like we would know what it's the effect it's having and all these things but like we're basically just like talking to air so there's no feedback to us i mean we're just talking into the air they're laughing at me right now as i say that but there's no feedback and so you know, when, when we see people out in the real world and they're like, hey, love this podcast on this or this or, you know, my favorite is when somebody like cracks a stupid joke that we made on the episode before and they just listen to it and they say, it, you know, an inside joke, like absolutely love it, knowing that we're helping you guys. So in all the DMs, you know, when people DM us like you guys don't understand, like it goes a long way because like literally we ha- we can't see your feedback while we're doing this. So it is really nice when we hear that, you know, we've helped or, or done something positive for you and, and your hockey players.
1: For sure. For sure. And uh, before we before we get going on um, the offensive habits, which I'm really excited to talk about, very excited, I want to talk about a couple of things. So went down to the draft, got the chance, obviously, to work at the University of Michigan this year and a couple guys that were going to go pretty high. And so we're at the draft, right? And Adam Fantilli, like everybody thought, including us, that he was going to go number two, right, to, to Anaheim. And it was crazy because I was sitting there with uh, a couple of the players that are on the team that went down there to, um, you know, to support Adam. And it was like it was nuts when they announced the Swedish kid Carlson number two to Anaheim. There was like a legitimate gasp within the arena, like, oh, <gasps> because. I mean, I'm sure maybe there were some people who thought that might happen, but most people thought it was a slam dunk that Adam's going to number go number two. And I'm like, what are they doing? Cause I I'm biased. I, you know, was with him all year. I know how good he is. I know how good he's going to be. And so it's just crazy. And then obviously he goes number three to, to, um, to Columbus. And I honestly, it's a match made in heaven. Like I think things happen for a reason. I'm a big believer in that. I think he's going to be a franchise center for them for years to come. I think he's exactly what Columbus needs as a smaller market. Like they need a number one center, the guy that's going to be an all-star guys. that's going to be there for a long time. He is so excited to go there, but the crazy story. So we go down after, um, you know, after the first round, cause they do the first round on Friday. Right. And then they do the second round through seven on Saturday, or it was Wednesday and Thursday. Sorry. I'm just thinking weekend for whatever reason. And so we go down after the first round to go congratulate Adam. We're hanging out with him and his family and a bunch of the guys and stuff. And, um, Columbus's GM goes down there and he's introducing himself to Adam's parents and we're all sitting there kind of in a circle talking and all this kind of stuff. And we had another guy that was at the draft named Gavin Brindley, who we all thought was going to go in the first round, but for whatever reason he slipped and he didn't end up going in the first round, which I think is the stupid, I can't believe that he didn't go in the first round. This kid is unbelievable, but he's five foot nine. Right. So I think Vegas winning the cup with the team that they had, I think for whatever reason, Gav didn't get drafted in the first round. So Columbus had the second pick of the second round. So we're all sitting there talking, and Yarmo Kekalainen is Columbus's GM. And Adam looks over to Yarmo and he goes, Brindley tomorrow. <laughs> Brindley tomorrow because it's his teammate. It's one of his best friends. Gav, he, the line mate, like they were electric together. And Gavin is such a good player. And they kind of like laughed it off. Like, hey, yeah, I know you guys are tight, blah, blah. blah. But the next day. The next day, pick number two in the second round comes, and Columbus selects Gavin Brinley. And so, two guys, best friends, teammates, line mates, end up going to the same spot. Um, and I, you know, they obviously did their homework. They didn't take him because Adam was like, "Hey, well, you should take, you know, our, my boy." But um, just so cool. Oh, so cool! The fact that both those guys did that, and then when Adam signed his contract with Columbus the other day gavin was actually a witness you know you have to have witnesses sign the contracts or whatever so they're both there for development camp right now and gav was a witness for um adam signing the contract so it's just like again everything happens for a reason it's amazing that things happen the way that they did and i'm just so happy for those two guys the fact that they were able to do that um and just congratulations to both and we've talked about it before on the podcast man like you want to separate yourself as a player from other people, be the most competitive player on the ice. You know, that is a huge separator for people. And Gavin Brindley and Adam Fantilli are two of the most competitive kids I've ever been around in my entire life. It's what sets them apart. They are skilled. They are smart. They can skate. They have the attributes that you need to be an elite player. But their competitiveness and their love and passion for the game is what sets them apart. It's why they went so high in the draft. And it's funny. Like, on social media, you know, just seeing all this stuff about the two of them. And it's just like competitiveness, man. Competitiveness. Be competitive. That is the separator, you know? Dude, it's how cool crazy. story is that though
0: yeah that is dope i love to hear that i love to hear that. that's really cool yeah and it's gonna be fun for them you know in the years ahead too just like they're gonna be going to dev camps and playing together and like just... well i don't think adam's gonna be going any more dev camps after this year
1: <laughs> yeah yeah
0: well they'll go to dev camp this year you yeah. know you know so yeah it's it's uh it's pretty cool
1: yeah. Pretty so cool. cool. So, uh, very cool stuff. Congrats to those guys. Congrats to Michigan hockey for having another couple high end draft picks again. And, uh, yeah, let's, uh, hit the sponsors up here and then we'll get to the P O D C A S T. I was going to make a stupid joke. <laughs> <and> I...
0: <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> Too easy. All
1: right. So I want to thank gel sticks, our title sponsor, G E L S T X.com. Go there to get, your best weighted training sticks to help your shot, or Jeff has them in the gym for strength, or you can get some lacrosse sticks or golf clubs, go to GELSTX.com and use the coupon code think Tank one word, and you get a discount on these weighted training aids. Jeffrey, go ahead.
0: I also want to say thank you to Train Heroic. That's an unbelievable platform that I've been able to work with thousands of players across the world just since covid uh, tons of junior teams, Division One NCAA, Division Three NCAA teams uh, like Alaska Fairbanks and Lawrence University, uh, USHL, NLL, EHL, NCDC teams from all over kids, teams, adults, teams, whatever, you know, organizations <laughs> adults teams. Yeah, dude. I, I wrote a, a beer league program for uh my buddy's team. That is <laughs> awesome. I, that yeah, is I so
1: did. cool. Yeah.
0: I had a hot mom's workout on there. Now I changed it to hockey mom's workout because I just thought hot mom's just sounded so ridiculous and <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so I changed that. But anyways, <laughs> all right. Thank you to train heroic because they let me do all this stuff and work with all these players and I, my life would be much different uh without that and i wouldn't be able to help as many people so thank you train heroic i love you guys also want to thank Cure nutrition joe and the fam over there guys that take cbd two times a day every single day i've been taking it since my last year pro in 2017 18 uh it's unbelievable the different things, uh, positive benefits it can have for your brain and body. So if you're looking to check out CBD, you have to make sure it's quality, right? Don't get that gas station BS, right? It's not going to help you. Not quality. Um, So use Cure Nutrition. Go to CureNutrition.com. My discount is GMBM. There we go.
1: And thank you to IceHockeySystems.com, the best website out there for all your coaching education needs. Thousands of drills, whiteboard explanations from high-level people in the hockey world. And if you go there, check out the associations tab because the Hockey Think Tank has partnered with IHS to do this association tab where you can get this for every single coach and parent within your organization. You can house drills under there. You can send drills to different coaches on the team or within your organization. Um, And also they have access to the Hockey Think Tank Parent Survival Guide, which you can hand out to every single parent in your organization. Hockey directors, if you're out there and you're listening, guarantee you less phone calls. If you have your parents go through the hockey think tank parents survival guide, just gives you a little bit more perspective about what it means to be a hockey player or sorry, a hockey parent in this crazy youth hockey world and uh, help people to get their kids to help them achieve their dreams. So IHS ice go to the associations tab and uh, you will have an unbelievable resource for a ridiculously low cost. Also, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We already said this, but Thank you to everybody that's out there that listens to our podcast. We so appreciate everybody that uh, continues to listen. We're four and a half years into this podcast, almost 270 episodes in absolutely crazy. And uh, we just so appreciate your support. If you can continue to support us by sharing us with your um parent groups are sharing us on social media leaving us ratings and reviews uh that would be just phenomenal to help us get a little bit more of a reach out there and continue to make a positive impact on the hockey world so uh we so appreciate it and uh without further ado vex you ready to get on to talking some puck i love sniping let's go (laughs) all right let's go so last or two weeks ago sorry last week we had on the two Michigan captains, which already have gotten some unbelievable feedback from people out there. So we had Nolan Moyle and Jacob Truscott on. Uh, Nolan is or was our captain last year, and he's actually going over to play in the KHL next year. And then Jacob Truscott is going to be our captain next year. He's a Vancouver Canucks draft pick. Uh, just two phenomenal leaders. Huge part of the reason why we won the Big Ten championship this year and then went on to play in the Frozen Four. Um, and just, uh, culture, man, culture was, uh, was a huge part of the reason why Michigan's always going to have the talent. But at the end of the day, culture won out here and, and these two guys, you know, it was interesting. Steph put out a a social media post today about talking about how it was the boys room, you know, as, as coaches, we knew how important it was because we had such a good leadership group that the room was the boys room and NAR did a phenomenal job of making sure that that was the case. And, Um, yeah, just a really special episode. So if you haven't listened to that, the two Michigan captains, uh, I would consider doing that. Um, but today we're going to go back to talking a little bit of hockey between Vex and I, and two weekends ago, we did our part one of this, where we talked about kind of like winning offensive habits from a more macro level. We talked about, uh, communication, how important it is important playing with your head up, how puck support is everything and how you need to win the net front and, and really finish chances to be able to score goals. So that was more of a macro. Now we're going to be a little bit more granular, talk about a little bit of the finer details from each zone. We'll start with the O zone, Then we'll go to the neutral zone and then the breakout. And so Vex, you ready to go, brother? Let's do it. Okay. So starting on in the O ozone, um, <laughs> you'll like this one. What do you think is easier for a goalie? when a person shoots it and they have someone right in front of them screening them or when they do not, what would a goalie prefer? No screen tope <laughs> You get awarded a ton of points and may God not have mercy on your soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely going to go with uh, he cannot see. Yeah. So for everybody out there, like if you're a kid that wants to score goals, Or if you're a coach that wants your team to score goals, if you look at the analytics and the data about how goals are scored, first of all, a vast majority of them are scored from right in front of the net. And second of all, when they're not scored from in front of the net, which is that little minority of goals that are scored, it never happens at the highest levels when the goalie can see the puck. Every level you go up, goalies get better goalies are bigger, goalies are faster, goalies are smarter with their hockey sense, they can skate better. Like, you, you just can't score goals from the outside without any traffic. So, if you want to be a team that excels in the Ozone, you have to have a net presence. Net presence, net presence, net presence. And so, um, it's just a fundamental habit in the Ozone if you want to really be good in that area. You have to have people in front of the net.
0: Yeah. And, for, and also, it also, makes the d make a decision like if if you got a guy you know pucks in the corner you got you know support that's between the corner and maybe the hash marks or whatever and he's on the outside of the the pile like so he's good defensive position even though he's in the offensive zone um he's on the right side of his guy and instead of having a third guy high if you have a guy who's like around the net somebody's always got to be on that guy. And if he's not like the guy, he's going to slap it across and you're by yourself in front of the net. Right. So like by you having a guy in front of the net, also it's going to spread the defense out. It's going to not allow them to overload and put three guys into the corner while you've got your two and your third guy high, which is how almost everybody plays. Right. So by doing that, by spreading it out, it also gives your guys who are in the corner working or whatever, more room to maneuver and make plays. Absolutely. Like you're getting
1: into a few of my next points here. So we will continue this conversation. Great points there, Jeffrey, 10 points for you. Um, (laughs) so the next one I have is move it or move or move it, move Mm -hmm. or move it. So, The more stationary you are, whether you're the person with the puck, which is kind of like what we'll talk about, but also the people without the puck, the easier it is for the defensive team to cover you. And so the way that so many people are playing nowadays in the defensive zone is all about pressure. It's all about pressure it's about on numbering it's about getting the puck back as fast as you can people don't want to play in their d zone so i know that there are teams at the nhl level and at the highest levels that literally have a stopwatch I, they don't literally they go through their analytics but how quickly can we get the puck back when the puck comes in our d zone right how quickly can we get the puck back and then get it out of our zone whether it's through a high flip whether it's through you know making a play Whatever it is, and so so many teams are using that pressure, 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 especially when the puck is in the corners, to um, outnumber and and get the puck back and go on transition. So if you are stationary with the puck, you're gonna get. Pinned, you know, you are going to, or if you're like a defenseman that's up at the blue line and you're not moving to change your shot lane, like it's really easy for the wingers to just get in your shot lane and then you don't have a a lane to the net. So, like, I just think it's from like a very simple, and we'll get into a little bit more of the minutia of it, but like, you got to move the puck or you have to move yourself. If you're stationary, you're dead. It's so
0: true. Like, you know, as a guy who played a lot of like defensive forward rules. I did a lot of penalty killing throughout my whole career. Um dude, especially in the power play. Like if I'm on the, the killing team and you're not moving, dude, easiest kill freaking ever. You're never Keep the gonna shin score. pads in the shot lanes, baby. Right. And and you can stand with your stick in the passing lanes. So like if guys are just set up and they're just standing still, it is so much easier if you're moving all over the place, you know, making defense have to talk and Decide: uh, Am I going to change guys, or am I going to stay on my guy who's starting to beat me now? Like that's when breakdowns happen, and all of a sudden a guy's open in slot, but you're not moving. It's so easy for them to just keep you like stick right on your back hip, right in your pocket. Like you, you get the puck; they're already on you. You can't do anything with it. So, yeah, move, man, move,
1: <laughs> move or move it, yes. move it as well. Correct. Which leads to my next point, and so and because. Teams are pressuring so much. Like some teams are still kind of playing a man-on-man-ish, especially when the puck goes from low to high up to the point point. there's three high. But at like if you're not moving moving it, you're done. And so what a lot of offensive teams are doing are they're changing sides or they're going low to high, whether it's through a release, whether it's through a bank pass, whether it's through a tape pass. A lot of times it's just a release, but it's to get the defense spread out. So you hear a lot of high-level coaches now talking about low to high. You're hearing a lot of high-level coaches now talking about changing sides. Well, why do we do that? Because every defensive team and their structure is trying to enclose you. (laughs) Corner containment enclose you into a small area so they can outnumber you. Well, they can't outnumber you if you continue to move the puck, especially if you're moving it low to high, especially if you're changing sides. Like if you're doing a rim release behind the net to the weak side who's coming down to go get the puck, Now you're putting the defensive structure in a decision where it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit dicey now. It's a little bit dicey. It gets them out of their structure. It spreads them out. Now there's more ice to be able to make plays in the middle of the ice, and so Nar, like he calls, kind of like the corner area, he calls that the cemetery. You know, like how when we were playing back in the day, when it was a lot more man on man defense, you could just cycle teams all day, cycle teams, cycle teams, cycle teams, cycle teams. Well, now teams are outnumbering so much in the corner that he calls it the cemetery because that's where plays and pucks go to die <laughs> yeah. so once it goes yeah. there if you hold on to it boom! you like you're getting pinned somebody's coming in to scrape they're going in and transition defensively to offense but if you get it you rim release it outside to the weak side you rim release it up top or what a lot of teams are doing now is they're kind of finding that little soft area right around the dot where it's almost like an automatic release into that area and then a shot on net there's different ways that you can do it but the biggest thing is you, you have to release, you have to get the puck out quick. It just gets the defense out of the structure of what they're trying to get you to do. And you're seeing a lot of teams have success with that, at the especially the NHL level. If you watch a game, that's that's what you're seeing a ton.
0: Yeah, I mean, you have to release. You have to find, find ways to do that. And so, um, you know, a massive part of that too, guys, like players listening, is talking. Like, cause like, think about it, put yourself in the guy's shoes who they're trying to just like, you know, murder him and his family up against the boards and just (laughs) trying to like get into that cemetery and just kill them. So the play dies, right? Their back is to the middle of the ice. Probably if they're getting pinned, they're trying to find where the puck is, man, the more that you talk to them and it doesn't even have to be like, I'm open, I'm open. It can literally be like release behind the net, behind the net, behind the net, behind the net, or like, you know, like up the wall go up the wall go up the wall go up the wall and then you go over there and try and pick for them like you talking to your teammates who are you know being manhandled in the corner will help them make better decisions and that's something that i really prided myself on uh when i was playing was just talking so much because my vision was so bad if i had the puck that i knew That when guys talk to me, I made way better plays, way more informed decisions, and I needed them to talk to me. So I just like developed it like, well, I got to talk to everybody kind of to make up for me not being able to see them (laughs) Um, and just to get them to realize like how important it also is like coming back to me as well, too. So be a talker on the ice offensively. It will only help.
1: For sure. For sure. I, I love that. And that was literally the first thing we talked about in the last episode, communication and how it's such a small, simple thing. It's not a small thing. It's a big right. thing, you know? And so like with those rib releases, with the load of highs, then what you're seeing now is a lot of teams getting three people high offensively. So you're having like somebody, whether it's the D walking the blue line and somebody coming up kind of like on the side by the half wall, or, you know, if the D are kind of spread out, you have, your F three kind of pop really high. And why are teams doing that? Teams are doing that to, to suck people out because again, where are all the goals scored? All the goals are scored in front of the net. So if you can spread the other team out, where now they're not just just locked in right at the front of the net and people have to go away from it. Now you can get pucked in the net with a two on two potentially a two-on-one if somebody gets beat you know for their guy coming out in from the corner once the puck goes low to high right so i i feel like that's just spreading the other team out huge um and then the last oh sorry you got one thing i was gonna say too and like the, there's more chances
0: of scoring up a rebound if everybody's around the net defensively uh or pucks know, they, getting blocked right block pucks shot getting yeah. blocked and like they just whack it out of the slot but like if you spread everybody out now that puck pops out past that first defender battling in front of the net. Now there's a little bit of space there because you sucked him out from low to high. So that winger has to go sprint towards the D now he's trying to get back, but you're behind that layer as the the third offensive player. Now you've got that area in the slot and around the, you know, what do they call it? Like home base kind of thing where, where you might have an area to pick up a rebound and you'll have more time to get your shot off
1: for sure. And here's another thing. Like when the puck goes, does go low to high coaches, I would work with your D on getting that puck. And some people like some people like a ready shoot where there is a time and a place for a ready shoot where the puck comes up and you just get it there quick, like get it on your stick, off your stick to the front of the net because then defensive teams are scrambling a little bit. But also if you look like at the analytics, if you can get that defenseman to walk the line and take the shot for the middle of the ice that's gives you a much better chance to get some offense going from like an analytic standpoint. So like work with your D on them getting it and either moving it fast or getting it and walking the line, walking the line as a D is like such an underrated skill that a lot of like the high level coaches are doing with their defensemen today. And like for the youth coaches out there, like make sure you are, getting with your D and having them walk the line. It's so unbelievably important. And, but when I say walk the line, like if you watch an NHL game, again, you're trying to spread the defense out in the D zone. You see people walking the line where their skates are literally outside the zone and their stick with the puck is inside the zone, Dude. right? Instead of like Bastard. a defenseman walking the line at like the top of the circles, which is what you see in youth hockey all the time, yep. you know, like yep. you have them get comfortable being a as far out near the line as can. Dude, guys, coaches, coaches, Young D,
0: listening, hear that, rewind 10 seconds, listen to that again. Played with a, a, an NHL guy who played a couple games in the NHL, had a good AHL career, broke his neck, um, then had a great European career, and we played together in Japan. Casey Borer, he's been on the podcast before. It was a great episode. Um, he was the first guy, I think, who like really was like, yeah, man. Whoever it was in the NHL was telling him, like, literally get your feet as far outside the blue lane as you can, where like just the puck is inside the blue line, like on the line, because you're creating like four more feet of separation yeah. if you can do that, obviously, you know, and comfortably. And so um, it really does make a big difference for shooting lanes because it's way harder to find those shooting lanes uh, as a forward because like you're so used to everybody standing on the line or inside of the line and then their body, their arms and then their stick in front of them. So you're used to those angles over and over and then when somebody's moving and they're they're, you know, they're all outside of the the blue line, it's it's way different and it gives the D man way more time to get
1: a shot through. Totally. Totally. Okay, last one. And might be the most important one in my estimation. Puck protection. Puck protection, if you're talking about habits and details, again, we're talking about how quickly so many teams defensively want to um, rush to, to take the puck away from you and outnumber you. The first part of that is being able to protect the puck from those people and then make a play. Getting your ass out, getting your hands away from your body, playing low, being able to shoulder check and understand where the pressure is coming from when you talk about puck protection. It is one of the most important skills that you can ever learn as a hockey player whether you're a defenseman or whether you're a forward because it's used all over the ice. So if you are really good at puck protection, you're first of all you're going to have the puck bore and second of all it gives you an extra second to be able to hang onto the puck to make a play to let the play develop, right? And then make a play. So if you think about it, like, let's think about it in the corner. Like, obviously you want to get, if, if teams are trying to outnumber you want to rim the least like we were talking about, but if you can hold on to it for that extra second, you're sucking those guys into you. Cause what does puck protection do? It's poise where the defensive team is now coming to you, which opens things up for other players on the ice. Right? So if you can really learn how to protect the puck, and again, we talked about those habits. What does it mean to protect the puck? Okay. Get your ass out, get your hands away from your body unbelievable with your shoulder checking and knowing where the pressure is coming from and then being able to react accordingly to that. So if you can protect the puck, you're putting yourself in a much better position to be a better offensive player. And I I just think it's something that cannot be worked on enough. And I think it's something like, honestly, like last five, 10 minutes of practice or like when the coach blows the whistle and there's an extra three, four minutes, that is what I would like have everybody play. Keep away, play, keep away in a small area, contained area. You know, one on one, maybe two on two. Um, it's just it just working on those puck protection skills is so incredibly important. Colin Greening, uh, a former teammate of mine at Cornell, he played uh, I don't know how many years. He played a ton of years in the NHL because he could protect the puck. He was a moose behind the net, and like you just couldn't get the puck off of him. It was incredible. So, just uh, yeah, protect the puck, man. Coaches like work on that a lot.
0: And and a big part of puck protection if we're talking down low specifically is like it's learning it's not like just getting away from pressure because you're going to get hit into the boards and you're going to have d-man on you like super close it's getting comfortable and like being able to feel where the pressure is on your hips yeah like the d-man's coming to try and push you into the boards to pin you But if you can twist your body just a little bit right before they come to hit you, you literally kind of like make them miss and you, they roll off you. And as they roll off you, you learn to move your feet right when they start to push as you're rolling so they kind of like get off balance they get their chest over their knees and their hips and if you just go like pop 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 one two three quick strides or one two quick strides just create that little bit of separation where your hands can get away from their hands now you're free to have the puck to make a pass or you know curl down and get away from them and i'm telling you man it's like great point in practice like you've got coaches like don't make the drill where it's like the d-man starts at, in the crease and you pass the puck to the player in the corner and the d-man sprints at the player don't do it that sometimes but also do the drills where the d-man is on the player and the pucks in the boards or he's like one step away from him and he's got to make that decision because uh, like i'm telling you you learn how to roll off of checks you can make way more offensive plays like, and it's, it's, it's kind of baiting the D man in like I would, I would sprint to the puck and slow down. So when, right when I knew they were going to hit me, depending on which way I wanted to go, depending on where guys were on the ice, what try to make play I was trying to make, I would let them get to me, but right as they were going to punch, I would roll and they'd fall off and it, it's massive.
1: Unreal. Unreal. Absolutely love it. And uh, we talked about this on the, that's actually great. Talking about getting separation too. I missed that. That's, that's a phenomenal, phenomenal point. Um, Yeah. And then the last thing too, like we talked about it on the previous episode, so I don't want to get too into it, but talk to your players about filling space and like defensemen being active in the offensive zone that's the way that the game is nowadays very rarely are you seeing d just staying at the point d are being active with you know coming down whether it's the boards or coming through the middle um you know d are up on the rush so like when the puck does get in the zone sometimes they're like you know there's a forward at the point that has to cover for the d because he's up on the rush like i just feel like you know filling space moving pucks quick um and and just you know it's role replacement it's role replacement where it's not always two D that are at the point D and the Like it, it, that's one thing that we were unbelievable at with Michigan and NARS an offensive zone wizard. He's probably going to listen to this if he does and be like, geez, guys, I can do freaking nine episodes on the ozone. Come on guys. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. Um, and so like, yeah, I, I just think have your like encourage coaches, encourage your D to get up in it. Don't just have a rule where they got to stay at the blue line. Like that's the way the game is nowadays. And if you can, give that skill or provide you know opportunities for the players on your team to learn that skill of role replacement in the offensive zone huge absolutely huge huge massive so all right want to go neutral zone all right so we're gonna go to the neutral zone now and i kind of like team together the neutral zone with entries because they're kind of i don't want to say they're one and the same but they're they're cousins just like you and i the cousin connection yep right cousin connection so i think like i think where you have to start when it comes to the neutral zone is you want to as as much as you can you want to play fast you want to play fast in the neutral zone why do you want to play fast in the neutral zone because the faster you play the less of a chance you're giving for the defensive team to get into their defensive structure if you're playing against a team that is really really good with their defensive structure in the neutral zone Those are, for me, those are the hardest teams to play against and the hardest teams to score against. So how do you neutralize that? You got to get going fast and catch them before they get into their defensive structure, right? So if the puck gets chipped out into the neutral zone or, you know, there's off a face, off face, whatever it may be like, you got to play fast. Not always. There's, you don't always want to play fast, go right up. But at the end of the day, especially if you can change sides when you do it, where puck goes out and you can go either D to D up really quick or even go right up to the far side winger or the far side forward, like catch them before they can get into their structure. I mean, do you agree with me? Like the hardest teams for me to play against are ones that are really structured in the neutral zone. They hold the red line really well. You can never get a controlled entry on them. You're always having to dump the puck in. And if you're not dumping the puck in, you're turning the puck over. And then you got to go play in your D zone. And how can you remedy that? You can remedy that by playing fast before they get into their structure.
0: hundred percent. And sometimes playing fast, like it means chipping the puck to yourself, like putting the puck in an area where you're going to skate into, Like the goal, obviously, from the neutral zone to the offensive zone. When we're specifically talking about offense, is to go into the offensive zone carrying the puck. But if a team is able to set up, which Topf is teaching you how to beat that most more often than not, is like by playing fast, um, trying to anyways. um, It's a lot harder to go in with the puck on your stick, but you're still coming through with a lot of speed. And it might make sense to do a little self chip, which I think is like massively important. Um, you, you don't allow the goalie to get out and get the puck when you do that. Just little chip chip to like the hash marks to yourself or to you had nice to be the king him. of the self
1: chip, eh?
0: Oh, bro! But I would go like off the. The boys all rip on me because I would like come <laughs> in. I'd go off the back wall hard, then jump around the D man and beat him to the puck.
1: Ooh.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oops, I said the f bomb. My bad.
1: You like That's four so- last episode. Yeah, I know. My bad, guys. I'm <laughs> sorry, fam. I'm sorry. All right. Hey, he just summer. got married. He right? was just getting ready to get married. He's a little yeah. jumpy.
0: It's okay. It's okay, Vex. I did. I did drop the f bomb twice uh, when I grabbed the microphone at my wedding, too, guys. I won't lie. <laughs> but again, yeah, we sh- should have told that story to start real quick. Sidebar. Right. We're talking about microphone grabs. Right when the DJ played the first song, I walked up to the. Oh, party, that was actually unbelievable. And I go, "Hey, man, give me the microphone." And he's like, "What?" And I'm like. I'm the groom. Give me the microphone, please. And he gives me the microphone. He turns the the music completely off. I go, listen up, you mother effers. I give everyone in this room every ounce of energy I have in my every single day. If you don't give it back to me and get on the dance floor right now, you're effing dead to me. And then I gave (laughs) the mic back. He turned it up and everybody in the room went to the dance floor. (laughs) That was that was a money move. That was so good. (laughs) That Anyways, so back to the self chip. Yeah. Uh, uh, Or like a chip off the boards to the guy slashing through whatever it's if that's another way to play fast, it doesn't mean just skate fast or just like dump, dump the puck in and then everybody's got to go get it like, you know, multiple ways to play fast.
1: There you go. I love it. Uh, Next thing I want to talk about as it relates to entries and in the neutral zone is so many teams nowadays are talking about getting off the wall. Get off the wall, whether it's through a pass or whether through skating, you have to get off the wall because if you just skate in a straight line along the boards, it's extremely easy for the defensive team to pinch you off. And then the weak side D is going to squeeze the middle driver and it's just a chip at like, and, and you got nothing you absolutely have nothing. So what you got to do is you got to get the puck to the middle of the ice. Again, if you're able to skate the puck through the middle on a clean entry, it's absolute gold. Because what does that do? Now the D have to respect you in the middle. If they don't, you just go in on a breakaway, which you don't see ever happening at the older levels, right? So if you have the puck, the D are going to have to get sucked in the middle of the ice, which creates a lot of space on the outside. So now you get the puck, You pass it to the player on the outside. Now the D has got to make a decision. He's got to go back over to you. you. Does he take the middle driver, the person who just passed the puck over to the, to the side. And so getting the puck to the middle of the ice, it just creates so much space on the outside and creates an opportunity for indecision and confusion for the D and it can be again a pass or sitting it to the middle, whether it's before the blue line and then you kick it out or after you get over the blue line, how many times do you see skilled players in the NHL get the puck? And this was Stan, our Russian coach all the time cut to the middle, cut to the middle, cut to the middle. And this was 25 years ago. It was literally 25 years ago, but if you get the puck to the middle, it just creates so much chaos in the middle of the ice. You're creating switches. Now the D, if they're not communicating, somebody's going to be open and getting the puck to the middle of the ice. Such a massive detail and habit for creating offense on the rush. It's so hard
0: too when you when you cut to the middle. When you cut to the middle and then you have somebody just scissoring and flying to the outside behind you and you pulled that D to the middle, like, see ya, they got no shot, you know, it's, uh, the goal. I mean, I, I don't know when, when I was playing, the goal was always for the skill guys to get to the middle of the ice and the meats to get to the outside, you know, and I think that if. If you can have that type of thing happen, obviously you want to be able to play everywhere, but the skill guys get it to the middle of the ice because they can distribute it anywhere or shoot the puck, right? And then you got the meatheads flying on the outside trying to beat the D wide as that sucks the
1: D to the middle. And if you think about it in its most simplistic terms, if you carry the puck in on an entry on the wall, you have one place to pass the puck. Like if you're on the right-hand wall, you have to go left. (laughs) I'm an ambi-turner. I can turn left. <laughs> if you guys know that movie, love it. Love you. Um, if you get the puck to the middle, now it opens up options on both sides, right? You're sucking in the middle. Now we can go either way. And so, yeah, just it, it, again, in practices like for the coaches out there, you should always, not always, but like you should really put drill designs together. I hate saying always, but you should, <laughs> you know, a lot of times you should put drill designs together where players are getting the puck and they have to get off the wall and try to get to the middle as best as you can on entries. Hell yes. Necessary. Necessary. Okay. Next thing I have is, um, drive delay third, fourth wave. I heard, um, Daryl Belfry talk. Um, we had a conversation a while back and Daryl Belfry, uh, again, he's a guy who is working with some of the best hockey players in the world. And one of the things that he he was talking about was every elite player has a great delay game. They have a great delay game. So they understand how to manipulate a defenseman. And then whether it's just a, a one foot stop where we're coming back when we're on our offside, or maybe you do a Gretzky curl and, and wait for the fourth wave uh, again, it just creates confusion. You have people driving the net. Everybody's talking about a net drive now. So you have the defensive team that has to respect that because if they don't, you're just going to pass it right to them or put it off the goalies pads. And then it's an easy, it's an easy pass off the pad rebound goal. But again, we're talking about involving the D in our offense, in the offensive zone. We talked about it, but D are getting up in the rush so much nowadays that in practices you, you have to put in drills and manipulations where there's a drive, there's a delay and somebody's hitting the late guy because so much offense on the rush. It's not necessarily the first two or three people that are getting the offense. It's that fourth wave. It's potentially even that fifth wave, right? So um work on that in practice as it relates to the entries.
0: And so for coaches, you think they should put constraints on their drills to focus on specifically that
1: at times? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah. you wanna you wanna provide options for sure. Right. So maybe, you know, maybe like, you know, as a coach, and this is where, you know, you can manipulate even some of the first couple drills that you're doing, quote unquote warm up drills or skill drills, where you can have a coach play token defense where the play you either give them the outside and they gotta go, or maybe you take that away. And now they gotta pull up and they gotta find somebody. You know, so you either have somebody that's driving the net or you have a defense that's coming up after maybe it's a breakout. You know, and they got to hit the D. And so you can manipulate different things within drills, put constraints in there where a player has to read the entry. Am I getting pinched off? Oh, I got to come back and delay and hit somebody is the coach or is the player giving me the outside boom? Now I'm going to take the outside and then I'm going to drive the net or going to put a pass off the pad, whatever it may be. Um, but those, those entries and uh, yeah, in practice, like you can, you can do a lot of different things to, to manipulate that and make the player with the puck, make a decision, make the guys without the puck, make a decision as well.
0: And obviously you don't coaches, you don't want to be forcing like ideas into players heads often. You want them to read the plays and, and things like, like that. But when they're younger, it's good to like, kind of be like, okay, like, you know, don't let the D know what the forwards are doing, but like, hey, we're gonna work on, you know, line one. You're gonna do this. Line two, you're gonna do this entry. Line three, you're gonna do this entry. So the D don't know what's coming, and you can like kind of put some constraints on it, so they're trying to work on it. Now, as they get older, then then they learn those different patterns and ways to enter the zone, and now it's up to them to choose it. But I think it helps to add those constraints when they're younger. Um, just so they can see what those kind of things look like, see how they develop and things like that.
1: Yeah, love it. Absolutely love it. Um, Next thing, last thing for the neutral zone entries that we're going to talk about here is shooters looking after the drivers. So what do I mean by shooters looking after the drivers? So a lot of times on entries, you're having a couple different um, people drive the net and whoever's shooting the puck is going to end up as the F3, right? The person who's shooting the puck is going to end up as the F3 because you got potentially two players that are ending up going to the net. So from a defensive standpoint, it helps because now you still got three guys back, but also offensively, if one of those drivers ends up getting a puck retrieval, now you have somebody in the slot that again, when teams are coming back, so many teams are terrible in their return to D zone. Like, right. Like the habits that you try to instill in your team is come back and stop in your spots. You know, whether you're a winger stopping your spots or whether you're going kind of like from a one, two, three, four perspective, like making sure people stop in their spots very few teams are very good at that. So that shot retrieval and look right into the slot, like that's there a lot of the time. And so who is that person that's in the slot? A lot of the time it's the F3. It's the person who just shot the puck um, that gets into that spot. Right. So I don't know if that's something that you've ever heard about, but um, just being a Michigan is something we talked about and like, it just, it just helps entry stuff offensively and defensively a ton
0: yeah that just makes sense to me i love that
1: that's all you got for me that's it
0: that's, that's <laughs> that's, you know like i just stood in front of the net the last like five years of my career and just waiting for <laughs> other people to shoot the you weren't the me. shooter you were the driver <laughs> but dude i was just standing in front like okay if the puck goes across the blue boys i'm gonna be in front of the net all right i'll pull d-man with me you shoot it i'll tip it or i'll get a
1: rebound let's go I like it. Actually, there's one thing I want to talk about too, because like, I think the conventional wisdom when people talk about the neutral zone is you want to play fast. Sometimes you can't play fast. Sometimes you're playing against teams that are really good in their defensive structure. They're going to play a little bit more conservatively, right? So they, they don't want you like for us at Michigan this year, the way the teams played us, like it was insane how just like it was one, two, two, or whatever their structure was one, one, three, and they weren't going to let us beat them through the neutral zone. Right. They just weren't. They were going to force us to to dump the puck in, which is why we Had put to. so much emphasis on the forecheck in the second half of the year. And it changed our season because now we yeah. were not turning as many pucks over the neutral zone. We we're playing a lot more in the ozone, which was our bread and butter. Right. Um, but one of the things that a lot of people are talking about as it relates to entries in neutral zone is getting speed behind the puck getting speed behind the puck. Well, what does that mean? When the defensive team is in their structure, you see a lot of teams at the highest levels. They're bringing three, maybe even four guys back and they're swinging, man, and they're Mm -hmm. getting speed. So now as you're coming up through the neutral zone, like you have some speed. So even if they're in their structure and you have to chip the puck in, like you got guys with speed that can go in and potentially win that race to get that puck if you place it in the right spot or be an F1 on the forecheck and really cause a ruckus in, murder in, in the corner, right? Poor D-man. And What's if you're up? Jeff Levecchio, murder a poor D-man. Exactly, <laughs> right? So looking at that, like you see teams kind of, bringing the puck back, maybe going at like the both deer at the tops of the circles or even the dots to try and spread things out a little bit. And you see guys coming back like Patrick Kane is the best at it, right? Mm-hmm. Patrick Kane coming back, getting speed through the neutral zone, coming behind the puck and then getting it. And so that I think that is something that potentially coaches can do with their teams. But again, speed, 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 everybody wants speed coming through the neutral zone. Again, the first part about that is playing fast and catching a team before they can get into their structure if they are in their structure, now we want to get speed behind the puck, get some speed coming up through the neutral zone. So now we could potentially beat guys coming through, or when we chip it in, we're first to the puck, or we're a good F1. That's where
0: when I was coaching both U16 and U18 a few years ago, like nobody really, um, what do you call it? Rocking horse. What's another word for that? With the deer up and back, tied on a rope. That too. There's, you know, so many different hinge. Hinge, hinge play. That's probably the one people have heard the most. Man, when D hinge at U16 and U18 AAA, like no team knew what to do. And I'd be, and like <laughs> sometimes our coach would be like, we want to play fast. I'm like, yeah, but the hinge is wide open. Then the guy <laughs> yeah. who's coming back and swinging is going to be going in full tilt. Nobody's going to be able to stop him. So, like, that's an example of tof talking about like, you can't always play fast and there's also other ways to play fast. So, uh, you know, I just like, I think it's really, really, really important for D-men to learn how to hinge because it's all about supporting their partner and and getting behind the puck and and you know then you you create space you give yourself more time to make a better play or you get back behind that hinge behind that d-man and he gives it to you and now you're flying up as the, your winger gets a deep cut like he's talking about with Kane or somebody flying through in a in a deep uh, um what's the word i'm looking for swoop a loop swoop and pull you know, and now you got, you know, you got the wingers. I we are doing the bunny ears. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now you got the <laughs> loop swoop and pull from Danny Tanner and Uncle Joey cut it out. And, <laughs> and you're buzzing going into the zone.
1: <laughs> you like that, guy, dude, that? That was good. Bust, cut bust, it bust. out. I wish you guys <laughs> could see yeah. this because you did it too. If you're our age, if you're anywhere from like you're 35 to like 50 and, you know, cut it out full house. Absolutely. For sure. Um, it's funny you say that because I feel like the hinge was a really hot button topic for a lot of years. Like in the recent past and even into today because like again, conventionalism was fast 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 fast. We don't hinge. We don't hinge. We don't hinge. Yeah. But then like it's kind of like, you know, it, like it's a pendulum, right? And so some people are starting to hinge a little bit more. Right. Um right. I love the hinge. It, it, it's a hot button topic, man. It's a hot button topic for sure. I love the hinge. And I think at the
0: youth levels, D men need to know how to do it. Like absolutely. They got to know it for sure. You know, and so it's just another trick to like, it's another thing in your bag, you know, that you can pull out when, when needed and D man, you're young, like work on that stuff, man. I'm not
1: another notch in your belt. Right. Correct. <laughs> Christopher Walken wedding crashers. Oh, thank you. Um, okay, good. So neutral zone. Feel like we're good. Anything to add? No. All right, cool, man. Let's go to the breakouts, some breakout habits offensively with the puck. A lot of times goals are scored. Where does the puck start? It starts in your D zone, right? So you look at the analytics again, breakouts so massively important, so incredibly massively important, especially if you're a team that takes pride in neutral zone defensively, like you have to have a plan going back to get the puck on a breakout. And that's where a lot of teams, I feel like really, really struggle. And it's not even necessarily like the structure of it, but just the habits and the details of going back to get a puck, going back on retrieval and how to support that defenseman or if it's a forward, because a lot of times it's a forward's going to get the puck back now too. Um, Just the the, the little habits and details of the breakout. So, so, so important. So first one that I want to talk about, and this is one that we don't have to talk about that much because we beat it to a dead horse all the time, shoulder checks and scans. Shoulder checks and scans, shoulder checks and scans, shoulder checks and scans. The two most important things on a breakout is the person who's going to retrieve the puck, shoulder checking and scanning. And the person who is supporting that person is telling them where to go with the puck and communicating. If you don't have those two things, there's a very good chance that you're going to turn the puck over, (laughs) right? A very, very good chance that you're going to turn the puck over. And I know high level hockey guys that have done studies on retrievals. And one of the biggest predictors of success on a breakout is a shoulder check. Duh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like come on, high level NHL dudes doing studies on breakouts. And what is a huge predictor of success rate? It is if the person going back to get the puck is scanning their shoulder. Wild. How simple that is, right? It's so simple, guys. Just force yourself
0: to do it. Trust me. I had to force I had to force myself to do this habit. It changed my <laughs> game in Europe. It changed my game.
1: Oh, man. And then there's just support the puck. Like the support the puck is everything, and your communication with it is everything. You are the person, again, a lot of times that – We'll call it D-men. A lot of times D-men who are going get back to get the puck are under heavy pressure. So they need you to tell them where to go with the puck, whether it's a net bump, whether it's a wall bump, whether it's a wheel uh, to get around the net and change sides. Like you, you have to be your partner's eyes. You have to be your partner's eyes. And I've told this pod, uh, story in the podcast before, but when I was a Bantam, Todd Reardon, who was playing in the NHL at the time. Now he's an assistant coach with Mike Sullivan in um, in Pittsburgh. He's a Stanley Cup champion as a coach. He was the head coach of the Washington Capitals. He came back and skated with us. It was one of those things where we were just kind of sitting there after practice and he was the NHL guy. So he was giving his little spiel to the team just kind of to motivate us. And he was like, what is the most important thing that you guys can do as a player? What's the biggest habit you can have? And we were like, I don't know. What is it? Talk. It's to talk, right? Talk, talk, talk. And he talked about his defense partner, he's a guy named Boris Muranov. He was a really good Russian defenseman back in the day. His defense partner would literally try to kill him if he came back to the bench and on a retrieval, he didn't talk to him. Because he's like, I'm going back to get the puck. I'm going to get smoked if you don't talk to me. So you got to talk to me, man. And it makes me look better because now I'm not turning the puck over. So when they get to the bench and he didn't talk to him, he'd be like so pissed at him. And so it just like, yeah, you have to talk. You have to be a support. And and again, there's different ways to support the puck. It can be a net bump, like I said, it could be a wall bump. Um, it could be just getting in front. That's another thing that's really important is just a little running, a little bit of interference on the four checker. So that defenseman that's going back to the puck has like an extra half a second to a second to get it. I can't tell you guys how important that is. Um, and, and to do in practices as well, just to, just to get your D in the habit of sc- whether you, there's a lot of different ways cutting them off or screening them off, whatever it may be. Um, but just like that initial shoulder check support, talk screen off if you can do those things right you can have success on your breakout in whatever kind of structure you want to put based on your neutral zone defense that you do
0: dude i mean it's guys it's the little things done well over and over and over that make the biggest difference in your hockey career like literally habits on the ice habits off the ice habits in the kitchen Habits, when you go to sleep habits, what you're putting in your body and your mind, like it's just over and over and over making better decisions and doing the simple things. Well,
1: yeah, yeah. And and going back to the puck support too, you have to work hard to get back to support the puck carrier, whether you're a center and you got to get low and slow in the middle of the ice to be an option. Whether you're a defenseman, you have to work back to either cut off the person um, that's forechecking or getting to a spot of support for the guy going to get the puck. Whether you're a winger that might have to get back for a rim because your defenseman's under heavy pressure and you know that the defenseman's coming down to pinch on you and is trying to beat you to that spot as well. The faster and harder you can work without the puck to get to your spots the more success you're going to have on your breakouts. And again, a lot of times, like you see, especially these youth teams, like the players are just coasting back because everybody thinks in youth hockey that the most important person on the ice is the one with the puck. It's not true. The most important people on the ice are the people without the puck who have to get the spots to be of support so you can contain puck possession you have to be able to work without the puck. Right. And so just, that's another just little habit in the detail is you have to work to get the spots. You have to,
0: it's massive. Like Tove said, it's the guys without the puck whose job it is to make it easier to get the puck from the guy who has it actually. Right. Like that's a, when you start to play that, you start playing
1: chess instead of checkers. Absolutely, man. Okay. Uh, talk a little bit of tactics here now. Talking a little bit of tactics, I think, and and this was something that Shafe was really big on at Cornell, and and something I think we did really well. But if you can use the net to your advantage and change sides of the ice, whether it's by using the net as a puck carrier and kind of like cutting the F one off, so you kind of beat them around the net, and they, you know what I mean, and like yeah. they kind of like, yep, either have to hit the net. <laughs> with their shoulder right. or, or they, you know, obviously you beat them and now they're coming up behind you or like a little net bump. And then we change sides and then you have to force the four checkers to have to kind of like go to the other side of the ice. Because again, most teams are trying to cut the ice in half. They want to get you to go up the strong side. If you can get off to that weak side too, I think using the net, I don't know what you think, but especially I will ask you as an F1, as a guy who lived as a four checker, is that something that made it tougher for you to get turnovers and, and on the forecheck, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. The whole goal as F1 is to create an angle that doesn't allow them to get the net, check. try to keep them almost with every team. Almost every single four check is cut them off before they get to the net. So we can force them up this side. And now F2 and F3 have followed me. A little bit behind and they're taking away the winger and the center or the winger and the D man in the middle for their outs. And it's much easier to defend half of the ice than all of the ice and they get all of the ice if they get the net on you when you're the F1 and they beat you.
1: That's my goats. That's a good way of putting it. I like that. I, yeah, like I like. Always, it, you can always like talk about the defensive side to justify the offensive side and the offensive side. Versus, that, right? Yeah. right. Like just kind of like, yeah. again, it's chess. Yep. Like you're, what's the defensive team trying to do? Take away time and space, create turnovers. What's the offensive <laughs> trying to create time and space, try to create right. park possession. Right. So I really, really like that. So, um, Yeah. So massively important. I think be able to use the net, be able to change sides on the breakout just makes it so much harder for the forechecking team to be able to disrupt what you're trying to do. Um, The other thing I want to talk about is if you want to be good on the breakout again, a lot of times, especially now teams are good on the forecheck, right? teams are good on the forecheck. They're placing pucks in spots where it's tough to go get the puck. They there's speed coming through the neutral zone. So players are right up on you. So a lot of times what you're seeing now is like players have to move the puck quick. And how does that happen? You can do a little slip into the center, which is a great play, really skilled play, a little high, high risk, high reward play. So, but if you're a youth coach, again, if you're not doing that with your team, like, hand in your whistle. <laughs> yeah, come on. It's skill play that yourself. teams ha- like defensemen have to be able to learn how to do. Centers have to learn how to get into spots because what are teams doing on the four checks? So many now they have their D right up on the wingers. Everybody's pinching. Everybody's gapping down hard nowadays. Right. And so being able to do that. But the other thing is you have to understand as a winger, especially how to own the wall. How to use your body to shield the puck, own the wall, be able to create possession, and then make a play. Even if it's like a quote-unquote unskilled play where you're chipping it off the wall into somebody that's going to get it, or you're using your ass out to protect the puck to maybe hit the offside D-man um, because trackers are coming back your way, and that's what's open. Is that, you know, that defense, that weak side defenseman over on the other side of the ice. So understanding, especially for wingers, how to own the walls, how to use your body to protect the puck along the walls. I think that is a skill so massively important. Like, honestly, if you're a winger and you can do that, you're going to put yourself in a position to play high level hockey. That's how important it is. And you were somebody that was like that. Right. And how difficult is it when a D's coming down all game all the time to have oh. to do that? That's why it's such an important skill.
0: The worst. And I think, too, just like talking about offense. We had Eric Farragon and he talked about Nicholas Backstrom just over and over and over every day after practice, just having somebody rip slap shots around the boards so that he could pick it off the wall, control it and be able to make a pass over to Ovi. And he's probably got friggin 500 assists in the NHL doing just (laughs) that right there. Yeah. You know, know? and so. So many high level teams start drills with a rim. Right. whether it's a rim in the offensive
1: zone, like you're talking about with backstrom or it's a rim on the breakout. And it's, we do a ton of that at Michigan and it's amazing. Like the different, like some guys can do it really well. You look at Luke Hughes, man, Luke Hughes, like when that puck's on a rim release coming back up, and he's getting that puck off the wall, and he's getting the puck to the middle. He does it like he's done it a million times in his life, and he can do it in his freaking sleep. And that's why he's so good and so lethal on the defense or on the offensive blue line. It's absolutely crazy. But so much of the game, again, you look at a heat map of a game of where the puck is. So much of it is along the walls. Yeah. And if so you true. can't have a skill of taking rims, you are not going to be able to play at the highest level of hockey. True. true. Right.
0: True. And you got to be able to do it all over the ice, offense, defense on the, in the neutral zone, pucks come up the wall. Like you got to be able to pick pucks off of the wall and make play and not turn it over.
1: Yeah, for sure. And that is not an easy skill to have. Like that takes work. Yeah. That takes a lot of work. Right. Yeah. Um, And then with that, like the last thing I guess on the breakout is for the people who watched a lot of, especially the NHL playoffs this year, but it's happened in the past, but especially this year, how many teams are flipping the puck outside the zone?
0: Right, right. And why do they do that? Relieves pressure, and now it becomes a race. They there can't set up, can't set up right away in their in their neutral zone regroup. Like they've got to like chase it down with a guy on them. You know, that's it's tough.
1: Right, and it goes back to what we were talking about: is what are teams trying to do offensively in the O-zone? They're getting right up on top of their wingers. In the like right, the D are right up on top of the wingers. And again, what why? Because they're trying to keep the puck in the offensive zone. They're trying to create turnovers and they're trying to keep the puck there. So teams rather than just passing it up to the winger with a defenseman right on them, <laughs> right? They're flipping the puck outside the zone. They're creating a race. It uh, you know, it causes a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of a little bit of stress, a little bit of pressure for those D who are going back to get the puck because now you got the wingers right on them. And it's, it's a difficult play. It's, it's um like, and we've talked about, it, I feel like on the podcast, like before, like a flip from the defensive zone into the neutral zone has become a skilled play. Right. It has become a skill play. What most people would think that's an unskilled play. It's become a skilled play because you're not going to pass a puck to somebody that's covered. And right. a lot of times the boards on the breakout are covered. Right. So when the D can flip the puck in, now you're creating races, opportunities for odd man rushes, potentially if somebody's sleeping and then you're beating guys up the ice, that's another thing like on the breakout, like the opportunity to like beat your player up the ice, whether it's the, the, the defenseman going back on a retrieval, right. That bumps it. And now he's absorbing that hit from that F1 and then he's beating F1 up the ice. Like that's something a lot of high level coaches are teaching their defensemen who are going to get the puck. And again, it goes into that how our goal score nowadays. We talked about it in the entry a lot of times. It's that delay. It's that third, fourth player up the ice who have beat their guy up the ice, you know? And so, like again, the the flip has become a, a play that so many teams are using, like you said, to relieve pressure. And it's, it's tough to defend at times. It really is tough to defend at times and can create races and can create like tough, tough plays for the defenseman. Dude, it's so true. And I love how it went being from
0: like the most meaty play in hockey to like now it's like such a soft, you put it like right where you want it to where your forechecker already, you know, sometimes knows exactly where it's going. And totally they're, they're taking the angle, knowing where the puck is going on their
1: forecheck to force them into your F2. Um, like you said, it's it's chest, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and a lot of teams, I should say a lot of teams, but there's teams that are just automatically like slicing their weak side winger through the neutral zone. Right. So the puck goes around the net, that weak side winger is automatically going. And then right. it's potentially like an off-the-glass or a flip to that person, and then again, it's the center beating the their F three up the ice, or it's the D beating their F one or their F two up the ice. And if you're able to get possession with that, like it's a lethal way. Some teams like to keep their you know, their weak side winger to the, you know, to the outside and not slice through to create a little bit more space coming through. You're kind of widening out again, talking about spreading the defense out. But some teams are just gone. Flip it, go as fast as we can. Try to just put pressure on the D and just go, 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 go. Right. Yeah. That would have been yeah. your bread and butter too, eh? Dude, like, that's... how many goals did you score honestly from that? From like being like the weak side winger and like using your speed to oh, be able to younger. like beat D to pucks. <laughs>
0: Bro, when I was younger, all of them, <laughs> all, my goals, <laughs> all my goals were breakaways from me as the weak side wing Staz would get the puck and I would just sprint somewhere and he would just find me. I don't even know how it was like, it was like insane. Um, but yeah, but like a lot, a lot of those though, honestly, uh, in college hockey too, like slashing across and just like picking it up with just buzzing, you know, speed, man, then go in and go low blocker posting in Sally super hard to the faithful at the.
1: The Lost lunatics,
0: Karina Lunatic You know what I'm saying.
1: The Lawson lunatics, That's right, dude. Baby. We talked about this before, but we played there this year. Sick crowd, sick crowd, sick crowd. They hate Michigan too.
0: Hate <laughs> Michigan, man. Hate Michigan. Muck, <laughs> muck, <Fitch> again.
1: <laughs> Is that what they used to say?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah,
1: Fantilli actually scored a hat trick at uh, Lawson this year. That's mm, because I wasn't playing.
0: We won. <laughs> we were, we were one and. We were, we won one time against Michigan in my three years there.
1: Dude, <laughs> they were, they were so freaking good. Oh my God. they were so yeah. good. It was insane. Yeah. Really Actually, rare. you know what? Now that I remember when we played Western at Lawson, Luke Hughes scored the overtime winner. Do you remember that? Hughesy he scored the overtime winner. And then he went to the, went to the Lawson yeah. Lunatics and took a bow. <laughs> That's
0: right. Dude. I love that stuff though. I love that. That's what creates rivalries is like people doing that i love that i remember people being like oh and i'm like shut up
1: i I love it all right it's so funny i used to be like that i used to be like integrity like you know those kinds of things but like at the end of the day like you have to be yourself like you have to be yourself like if you are somebody that likes to play it up to the crowd and that's what makes you you and that's what makes you a good player by all means
0: dude i love it i love dude Marshawn, I love it. Everybody who like knows that I play with him, like the kids, like when I tell them, you know, I was linemates linemates with Marshawn, the AHL, whatever, and like, hey, that scum, I'm like, no he's the best guy ever. And he's yeah. like him doing that makes him better. And it yeah. creates this like bad blood that
1: makes everybody want to play harder in the games. Like, And it's that's awesome. the thing is like, none of these, none of these people who like do some of these things, like even Ovi, like, or Tamo Solani, right. When he threw the glove up and like shot it and like all those like crazy stuff, but like, none of these people are bad people. They're all great guys that like everybody wants to have on their team. Yep. And yep. it's just, it, it's like, Hockey's entertainment, man. If you can entertain people and just like raise the level of the sport, I don't think there's now. there's probably a line to not cross. And I don't know where that line is. It's based on whatever happens, but like, (laughs) I don't know, man, be yourself, celebrate. You don't get to score goals very often, right? Like it's hard to score goals, especially like at the higher levels. It's so hard to score goals. Like be you, just be you.
0: It's truth. Truth. Do it. I tell the guys in my gym, dude, I'm sure some people wouldn't like hearing this, but like literally when we do competitions, like just anything, I love com- making them compete at anything. I'll just create games out of thin air. Cause I want them just to compete. And I'm like, I want you to sell in the loser's face as hard as you can. And I'll put like 10 or 20 pushups or tw- 20 <laughs> squats on the line, just something. So one guy has to lose and the other guy has to like, I want him taunting him. I'm like, yeah, I want you to hate to lose in here. Everybody like you need to win. I want you to freaking love winning.
1: Yeah, so that's what we actually, you know what? Let's end the podcast with this. Let's end the podcast with this. And I've told this before, but one of the things that we did this year at Michigan that had a huge impact was we kept track of every small area game this year. So if you were on the winning team, you got a dub. If you were on the losing team, you got an L and we kept track of that all year, and it was right up on the board when you walked into the nutrition room for everybody to see who was in first place, who was in last place. And it elevated our small area games so much, and the guys took so much pride in it. And he goes back to it, right? And I talked about this, the one of the first things that we talked about when it comes to Adam Fantilli and Gavin Brinley. Two guys that got drafted in the first two rounds by the Columbus Blue Jackets. They're going to have unbelievable NHL careers. What is their defining characteristic? It's their competitiveness. Why are they great offensive players? Yes, they can see the game. Yes, they have great skills. But you watch these two guys in our small area games, it's insane. You watch Adam Fantilli in our small area games, it's insane, dude. Absolutely insane. The level gets ratcheted up tenfold when it's his turn he hates to lose love it. loves to win right God. so like what you're talking about here of competitiveness like you want to be an offensive player and again like the higher the levels you go the goals ain't that pretty that yeah you can watch sports center or like youtube and you'll get like the best plays of the week but you look at a majority of the goals they ain't pretty man they're getting to the dirty areas where are the goals scored they're in the dirty areas so if you can create those competitions and ratchet the level up a little bit in those little small area games that you're doing you're going to create better offensive players i guarantee it
0: 100
1: put something 100%. on the line put something on the line a win or a loss or a consequence for the team that loses whether they got to buy a gatorade whether they got to they got to take the, what are what are some of the things that you've done in like practices like some of the things that we did like you know the losing team's got to buy somebody a Gatorade, or somebody's got to you know untie the skateboard. They got to untie the gates of somebody um, in the locker room after after they lose the last small area game. You know we did the thing where we tracked it all. Like, what are, are there any other creative things that coaches who are listening can do that that you know of, or anything that you do in the gym?
0: Um, I mean, dude, just put put things on the line. Got like little kids got untie the losers, got to untie the winner's skates. Older guys who are okay, like, I don't love gambling or anything like that, like bringing gambling in, but like, just simple things when I was in pro like, hey, losers got to buy the winners coffee. Like, you know, you don't want to get into like, start playing for money, obviously, that that gets bad real quick. But like, with kids, you know, like, if cool with it like a gatorade's on the line you know between you gotta and pick I, up pucks cup.
1: yeah you gotta pick up losing teams gotta pick up pucks losing teams gotta do a down and back right uh, you know, well, losing teams gotta pick up the water bottles like winner
0: winner gets to choose what the loser wears to the next workout and it can be something ooh, like, like ridiculous you know like just <laughs> any kind of like thing that that makes the loser like have to like suck it
1: up a little bit you know suck it up buttercup let's stop making life easy for these kids (laughs) when there's something on the line it creates a little bit more compete there's no question about it no question about it so uh this was fun yeah i
0: love talking offense man score guys you don't understand Scoring goals is the greatest feeling ever alive. And when after you stop playing hockey, like for real, for real, you never get that feeling back. Like scoring a men's league game. I'm like, great. I just scored on a bender and like, whatever, (laughs) you know, or like, Oh, great. I scored on that 65.
1: I'm a mom. I'm a mom. mom. I was talking to Staz about that at your wedding, actually, because we did that on a previous episode. Yeah, we were talking about that. I love it. He loves it. If you know that movie, if you know that movie, by the way, you could be Jeff and I's best friend because it's our favorite movie of all time.
0: Somebody reached out to me on Instagram, like probably about 10 days ago now. And he's like, by the way, love the reference for blank that movie. And
1: I was like, (laughs) we're boys. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, All right, everybody. Thank you so much for hanging in here with us. I hope you enjoyed. I had fun with this podcast. Um, I love talking hockey and again, we could do this for another two hours if we wanted to, but, um, yeah, love talking offense, especially, and hopefully you guys took something out of here if especially if you're a coach that you can use in your practice help with your player development if you're a player maybe we gave you some things that you can work on um you know especially in the summer here build up some of those habits build up some of those details that can help you be a better offensive player when the year comes and uh yeah it's a lot of fun so really 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 appreciate you guys as you know as we've said already on this podcast uh yeah take some of this stuff go implement it, get better right jeff Heal, yeah let's get it <laughs> all right thanks everybody
0: have a great week